when a man, for example, doesn't get an erection, has not experienced an erection for, I don't know, three months or so, red flags are coming up in my head, right? What's happened? What's really happening systemically? Cardiovascular, atherogenic disease, um, diabetes, what's happening? So you got to look at, uh, you got to look at the me metabolic aspect of ED, uh, because to me, that's a sign of of aging and that's a sign that something bigger and more life-threatening may happen may happen sooner than later how can men use lifestyle medicine to keep their prostate and sexual function healthy as they age how can we support men to live better as they age i'm excited to share this conversation with dr gio espinoza dr gio is a naturopathic and functional medicine doctor recognized as an authority in urology and men's health Dr. Gio partners with his patients to identify and treat the root causes of their health conditions, not just mass symptoms. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. Today, we are gonna be discussing with Dr. Gio how to keep your prostate healthy, how to avoid sexual dysfunction with age, and how to use lifestyle medicine to live better with age. Please enjoy our conversation. Awesome to have you here, Dr. Gio. Thank you so much for coming on today to discuss urology and all things about integrative men's health. My pleasure, Andrew. Uh, it's been, I, I think we were planning this for a while and uh, so I'm glad to be here. Yes. Uh, so we started our podcast about a year ago now. It's been about a year and I think, you know, you're definitely one of the first guests. I was like, we got to get Dr. Gio on <laughs> because we know that in integrative health and, and functional medicine and everything, there's there's a lot of interest, at least statistically, and, in, 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 um, you know, functional medicine and integrative health from women. And, and, uh, and of course, a lot of times what we see in our clinic, because we see men and women, is that we'll see the women first. Yeah. And then, sure. you know, maybe a year later, the man kind of straggles in. <laughs> like, <laughs> my wife or partner wanted to, you know, wanted me to come in. I'm not really sure what it's about. Um, we'll we'll <laughs> talk right. about that. Um, yeah. I, I guess first, for the listeners, let's talk about you as an authority on, on men's health. What specialized, yeah. you know, what motivated you to, to specialize in and uh, naturopathic urology and men's health. Yeah, well, that's a, a very good question. Um, I th the real answer is that I didn't choose men's health and urology. Is sort of like urology and men's health chose me a little bit. Um, like anyone else, initially I was fighting it. I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna what, do prostates and penises all day. No way. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But then I kept seeing more men than anyone else. Uh, this is back when we were doing our clinical rotations and as a naturopathic medical student and more men and more men. I was like, oh, geez, all these men. Can I see a woman? Can I do <laughs> obesity? You know, can I see obesity? Can and I was just fighting it. And then I got the opportunity here in New York to uh, intern um, with a urologist and sort of it just happened. And then I did a fellowship in urology at Columbia University, Department of Urology. And that sort of just it didn't just happen. I had to work for it. But um, but it was, you know, it was like, oh, so then I got really started getting interested in this one space, this one area. I really wanted to know everything and learn everything about it. I, I knew that some of my colleagues, for example, in naturopathic medicine were really good at knowing all these modalities and herbs and 
homeopathic medi- uh, medicine and nutritional approaches for so many conditions. And I felt like I'm not that smart. I can't, I can't do, you know, know every, know the conventional, know the pharmaceuticals, know the, the natural for everything, you know, autoimmune, uh, this, that, you know, every, I, I can't, I was like, I did feel frustrated about that, but I didn't know that I was going to head into urology and mental health. So when I, discovered urology and mental health or or it discovered me um i was like oh you know i sort of i stopped fighting it and kind of went along with it and it was great because it was this little area and most people would say my colleagues would say aren't you bored same thing over and over no there's always new things not at all that's right and then all these clinical situations and responses that you see and you see what works you see what doesn't work um, it, it's, it's so rewarding. So, um, it sort of found me. And lastly, I'll say this, you know, my father was about, uh, in his mid forties when I was born. So when I was like 10 years old, he was in his mid fifties and always a prostate problem. I'm 10 years old. I'm like, I don't even know about the heart. I don't know about any other organ, but you know, the prostate, the prostate. Oh, I think my prostate is inflamed. I think my prostate, it's only a matter of time before I get prostate cancer. So I think that it's been in me since I was a child and one weird way or another, and sort of all the signs and everything led to me doing the work that I'm, that I'm doing now. That's a great answer to start out with. I, I think that, you know, a lot of times our calling, like you said, finds us and uh, we just yeah. have to listen and open up to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not be so hard headed. You know, I'm glad that at something like by the hundredth lesson that the universe or God gives you, whatever is like, oh, you know, oh, I think I'm going to listen now. OK, listen I'll do that your- hundred <laughs> time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, better late than never. You know, and, <laughs> that's right. And, and I love how you're a connector too between conventional and, and integrative yeah. naturopathic functional because yeah. really there's not a lot of people in that space that are, yeah. especially on the men's health side, I feel like it's often either one or the other. And certainly we kind of get, you know, it's like the tides or something. Yeah. They kind of like push us in one way or the other. But yeah. um, let's talk about men's health and what motivates men to be healthier. You know, what what kind of, you know, what is what is something that kind of drives men that you see in, in, in your practice? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, listen, what drives men to take action? Yeah, is because we know, we, we know a lot of people don't take it. We know a lot of men don't take action. Well, right? most don't. Right. What drives men to take action is a diagnosis that will not kill them, hopefully, but is a beautiful wake up call. You know, on, on one of my podcasts, I wrote about or I spoke about uh, why I love Gleason 6 prostate cancer. And there is no better diagnosis for a man than a beautiful Gleason 6 prostate cancer. And the reason for that is because Gleason 6 will likely not kill anyone. But man, is the C word. Oh, I'm going to eat better now. Oh, I will exercise now. Oh, I will. So they reevaluate um, how they live their life, uh, their relationships, everything. And now they live even a healthier, fitter life as a result of that diagnosis. Right. So yeah. it's a diagnosis. Um, men typically don't care about health. They care about performance. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. So the guy that comes in that, 
doesn't have a diagnosis is the guy typically that is dragged in by their spouse. It's not and, affecting them, so they don't care. Yeah, basically, it's not they don't see the the long term effects. Maybe they don't the see the long term. They don't really value health. Also, health is a loose term. So, you know, men and women um, are different, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's an obvious right. We function differently. The hormones are different. So so health is a loose term it doesn't mean anything mm -hmm. really. Oh, I'm going to do what to be healthier? Yeah. What is healthier? So what men can what's more linear and and men like to typically on average think more linearly is how can I perform better? Right? Whether in the bedroom and, and even performing sexually is not so linked to health, though it should be, but not in their heads. Right. How do I perform better at work? How do I perform better at, you know, thinking, energy, things that will help them perform better in their, you know, overall? That's what they care about. Let's talk about the bedroom performance. Let's talk about sexual function yeah. and dysfunction, because I, I, I love that connection between what you just said about bedroom performance and, you know, how's how's that man's erection? How healthy is that versus like their overall health? People don't see that connection. So what is that connection between between those two? Great. Um, so, you know, the, 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 we, there's several, several things we have that women don't have. One of them happens to be a penis. And yeah. a penis, in my mind, is a barometer to a man's overall health, right? Mm -hmm. So what you do with it is really not my business. But I do care that men across all ages for them to have, get erections, whether it's um, spontaneous erections or early, uh, morning erections or erections when they are uh, willing and wanting to perform sexually. Um, why? Because um, when a man, for example, doesn't get an erection, has not experienced an erection for, I don't know, three months or so, red flags are coming up in my head, right? Uh, what's happening? What's really happening systemically? Cardiovascular, atherogenic disease, um, diabetes, what's happening. So you got to look at, uh, you got to look at the me metabolic aspect of ED. Uh, because to me, that's a sign of, of aging. And that's a sign that something bigger and more life threatening may happen may happen sooner than later. So, um, the, the, so it's, it's, yeah, quality of life and sexual activity, I think is important. Um, but even more so is, I'm not getting an erection. What you know, what else is happening that I need to know about? It sounds like erectile dysfunction is related to heart disease, risk of heart disease, vascular disease, endothelial dysfunction. Mark Houston says that ED yeah. equals ED, you know, like endothelial <laughs> right. and um, right. erectile. Yeah. Um, and, 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 yeah. ED equals ED and a trip to the ED. To, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Very, very true. Um, yeah. And so that's another wake up call, too. You know, that the heart attack would be another wake up call or heart yeah. heart disease. Um, so uh, what are what are ways that you found uh, to, um, you know, that you found in your patients to uh, improve uh, sexual dysfunction. Uh, this is going to get probably into a, a large area of lifestyle habits. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is uh -oh, a, this here. is a blank. This is a Picasso. Uh, I how think, how much yeah. time do you have, Andrew? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> right. probably, probably let's say for the man that's interested in walking into your clinic with kind of like, I want to perform better. I want to perform yeah. better for, you know, for my wife or partner or yeah. whoever, um, what is, yeah. 
what's those top three things that's going to improve their his performance? All right. So, you know, the the the, the brain is the biggest uh, sex uh, sex organ that we have. Right. So we have to be, be able to differentiate between psychological ED and physio physiological ED. Um, so, and oftentimes 50% of the times it is psychological, there's performance anxiety, there's just overall stress, you know, life stress and things like that, all problems in the relationship. Uh, I don't, you know, get a whole lot into that, but if that, those things come up, I said, look, you got to look into it. I don't think you have a, a physiological problem. Okay. So that needs to be kind of ruled out. Then from a physiological perspective, I'm trying to assess, um, there are the health of their arteries without uh, an invasive um, diagnostic procedure. So um, we look at obviously all sorts of blood work. Uh, typically that you would even look for um, cardiovascular disease, look at their uh, glucose, look at their insulin, look at their you know, anything from metabolic syndrome that you would look for, hypertension, um, it, whether they're, you know, they have a big waist, um, waist circumference. Um, then you look at their hormones. And again, that's an, even another podcast, right? Because yes. you say, okay, so what's a, what's the best number for testosterone? I said, well, it's not that simple. I know everybody's just saying 600. And I used to say 600 quite, quite often. But the, the reality is that it's more complicated, more, more complicated than that. So you got to look at the hormones as well, because that also contributes to uh, ED. Um, so then you do that evaluation. And then overall, typically, if there's an atherogenic component, let's say from a natural uh, perspective and lifestyle, you get them to um, if they need if they need if they have a lot of body fat, right? So we do a body composition as opposed to just um, BMI, of course. Yeah. Um, and then we want to, to improve their body composition. We want to, I, I really focus a lot on getting that waist, um, size down. Um, you know, so I do a, a waist to hip ratio and, um, if the waist is bigger than the hips, we need to reverse that. That's just the bottom line. Right. So yeah. that's what we focus on. In addition, I, um, um, we, I get them to do exercise and it's very prescriptive. Um, it might be something like, you know, interval training. It depends on their baseline, numerous things. Eventually they have to do weight resistant exercise. So I, I think, you know, my philosophy on that strength training is King. You need physical yeah. strength to live longer. It's yeah. harder to die if you're physically strong overall, okay. right? The so muscle need, mass and everything. Yeah. A muscle and strength, sometimes some you know, muscle and strength, sometimes, for example, an, an aerobic, let's say a runner mm -hmm. may have some decent muscle unless they run a lot, then they waste their muscle. Yeah. But they don't have a lot of strength. Ah, got it. Right. So yeah. you want muscle and you want to prevent sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting as you age. But you also want to keep strength. You want to stay strong, physically strong. Very important. Doesn't matter if you like it or if you don't, or, oh, I'm a tennis player. Oh, and I, I like golf. At this point, I, I go out uh, and it took me a while. I needed to look at the, you know, preponderance of the evidence to really come to this conclusion. It sort of doesn't matter where you are for, for, for the most part. You need to do physical training. And as it relates to erectile dysfunction, that's, that's also a must. So that's typically the, the approach. And then some nutraceuticals that I use that I think your audience might be interested in for the most part is things like L-citrulline. I find L-citrulline to be even more important than arginine, though arginine is very important because it um, is a precursor to nitric oxide, this gaseous chemical in the arteries that helps dilate the arteries. You want, you want these arteries to open up. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, so, so our arginine is fine and good. And a lot of data supports it, 
but it gets uh, metabolized very quickly by uh, an enzyme called arginase. Citrulline helps with, so bottom line, uh, without getting into the weeds, if you want more arginine in your body, it's better to have more citrulline in your body than even arginine itself. That's the bottom. So I use citrulline. It inhibits the arginase. Basically, it inhibits no, the arginase. No, it's it it just keeps circulating the um the 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 arginine. It kind of keeps, yeah, it, keeps okay. it circulating it and not metabolized so quickly. But it's not yeah. an arginase inhibitor. No. Okay. Okay. Well, great. Uh, let's kind of go to um, a, a similar topic. I think there is some overlap here with another of your specialties, which is how to keep a healthy prostate. You know, we mm. know that, right? There's so much about, okay, well, people are just going to have enlarged prostate after a certain age. And, you know, how do we, how do we keep a healthy prostate? How do we, you know, if someone has prostate cancer, you know, how do we deal with that? So there's a lot of, a lot of questions mm. in there. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So there's two parts of the conversation, perhaps. Uh, and let's just talk about prevention of prostate problems. And then we could dig deeper into the big three. The big three are uh, prostate cancer, BPH, or an enlarged prostate, and prostatitis. They're different. They all of them. And the two benign ones are prostatitis and BPH. They do not lead and it's not a... Uh, it's not, uh, they don't, it doesn't lead to prostate cancer. So some people think if I have a big prostate, oh my God, that leads to prostate cancer. No. Some people do think that if I have prostatitis because it's in an, uh, some sort of an inflammatory response, that leads to prostate cancer. And it turns out that it may in some people, but, you know, uh, I just don't want, people with prostatitis are typically, and let's, let's start there. People with prostatitis are typically younger, not older. So they're in the twenties sometimes. So you don't want to say, Oh my God, you're going to get prostate cancer as a result of having prostatitis. Right. First of all, it doesn't have to be that way. And second of all, they're already going through a lot of psychological problems. You're going to freak them out unnecessarily. Yeah. So prostatitis is the um, prostate disease that typically happens in the younger group is the only one really that happens in younger population. I mean, younger than even 40 BPH and prostate cancer typically happens in uh, an older population. And I do, I am using the cutoff of older, which I hate because I'm in that category now uh, of 40 and above um, because I firmly believe that you need to start looking and um, being proactive as it relates to prostate health in your 40s, not 50s, like many people think. I've seen way too many prostate cancer scenarios in men in their early 40s, and they come in, it's already very aggressive, um, and it's just not well managed as, as a result. So, um, so, so I think 40s is the time that you start, and I know everybody's trying to uh, avoid the finger, um, and getting a prostate <laughs> exam, but, um, that's just one element of it. Um, there's other things and other tests, including PSA. We can talk about that if you want that one can, um, do to see what's happening. So she overall, and let me give you a quick takeaway, um, as it relates to what do I do for my prostate? There's one thing that seems to be associated with almost every urological problem, including ED and all the prostate problems. That's metabolic syndrome. 
So metabolic syndrome for your audience is any sort of combination of hyperlipids, uh, high uh, LDL, quote unquote, bad cholesterol, low HDL, good cholesterol, uh, high triglycerides, high glucose, high insulin, big waste, hypertension, any combination um, is metabolic syndrome. And those things, metabolic syndrome is associated with BPH, prostate cancer, significant ED significantly. So if you're interested in preventing and certainly even um, um, as a co-management, you have to deal with metabolic syndrome for sure. All, all roads go back to metabolic syndrome. And the North Carolina study that showed way. that yeah. 88% of US has metabolic syndrome, right? So that's crazy. It's a crazy number. And it's crazy how, you know, it's a good term. All roads do go back to metabolic syndrome. And you would think, of course, of course, cardiovascular. Of course, No, urological as mm. well. And it's just an overwhelming am uh, amount of evidence to support that even overactive bladder, actually. It's just, it's associated with all, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and, you know, it's pretty, not to get on, on, a, on a soapbox much, but it's pretty remarkable with, I think, the work that you and I are doing, Andrew, Andrew in terms of, uh, um, you know, looking at the body systemically as opposed to as opposed to separating the body parts. We we we, we like that. soapboxes, Dr. Gio. That's fine. We can stand <laughs> on so <laughs> stand on it proudly. That's right. Like, that's right. I, I'm not getting off. <laughs> I'm not getting off the soapbox. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it, there's a, 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 a there's a possibility of some bias in this, right? Because this is what we do. Yeah, yeah. But at this point in time, it's just an overwhelming amount of evidence. You see it clinically that you want to treat, you want to treat almost any condition, certainly most urological conditions systemically. And the results are much greater um, than just treating just each body part. So I think that point about BMI versus body composition bears repeating for a sec, because people might go to their doctor and say, I'm fine. My BMI is less than 25 or, you know, I'm not, I'm not as overweight as my neighbor Jack here who has a pot belly, right? So I'm not, I'm not overweight. I'm not, I don't have metabolic syndrome, but they need to get on a, a BIA, a body, body composition to really see if there's visual fat there. What's the muscle mass? Like you said, let me take that. A, let me take that comment a step further for you. If you were to ask me, Gio, who, what population, you know, concerns you the most, the thin guy or the overweight guy? The thin guy concerns me more than the overweight guy. Wow. Because the overweight guy knows he's overweight. Yeah. He knows he has a lot of body fat and he's either deciding to do something or deciding not to do something about it. It's more obvious. Yeah. It's, it's more, more obvious. obvious. And oftentimes people um, assess their overall health based on how much they weigh in their BMI. Yeah. The thin person that I've seen clinically many times those people that we call thin fats, right? Yeah. They're thin, low BMI, but a lot of visceral fat. The skinny fat, skinny fat. They're skinny yeah. fat, right, skinny yeah. fat. They concern me more because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm so unhealthy. I can't believe my PSA is so high. My blood sugar, my insulin. So I can't believe it, but I'm thin. I've always been thin. So there, it's this false notion that just if you are heavy or not heavy and if you're thin, you're in good shape. No, there's a lot of metabolic disease in these skinny fat people. They just don't know. And their doctors are not, you know, talking about it because they are skinny. And when you put them on a, a body composition, their body fat is 30, 35%.
though their 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 doctors might be skinny fat as well, or just fat, or just, or just <laughs> I mean exactly I mean, yeah, or that's, just fat. I mean this is this is the this is what it is. So yeah, I mean that's that's really important to uh to really just like you said realize if people if men need a diagnosis to improve their health span and longevity, then yeah. then we need to start diagnosing metabolic syndrome better in men. Yeah, except metabolic, you know, you need a, a, a more life-threatening type of diagnosis for men. <laughs> oh, you have metabolic syndrome. Oh, really? All right. Well, uh, um, thank you. Uh, I'm going to go to the coffee shop and have a couple of donuts with some coffee. You know, <laughs> you, know it, it, you need a little bit more like oomph. That's just why, again, Gleason 6 prostate cancer. Yeah. I love it. You know, I had a patient yesterday. I think that you and your audience might uh, be interested because it goes along with everything we're talking about. So he, you know, this guy is five, nine was weighing like um, he was weighing like two ten, and he said big belly, everything. Uh, I saw him yesterday. He just got, he got diagnosed with a Gleason nine prostate. This is a little bit more aggressive uh, prostate cancer. And he's, and now he weighs one sixty five. He says, you know, I lost, you know, 45 pounds. Right. Wow. I said, great, right? Good, right? How? Yeah. What did you do? Oh, I, you know, I did uh, whatever. I got, I just ate better, fasting, which is good, all good. Mm-hmm. He says, but you know, my body fat is still thirty three percent. I was like, how? How so? He's like, yeah, I didn't do a lot of exercise. I mean, it did. I walked. So in this type of scenario, I'm encouraging him to. All right, we need to build muscle. Yeah. Right. Because now you're a skinny fat. But he's basically still, lost muscle. Yeah, he, just he lost, lost muscle. muscle and water for the most part. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. fat. So yeah. now it's like not only is, you know, 165 is fine, but we're going to go to 175 with yeah. muscle yeah. because that's going to help your metabolism better. And that's going to help you even with prostate cancer better. And if you do need another treatment, under well, the privation therapy or radiation or something, you you will be stronger from, you know, building muscle and under and undergo the treatment. So we have a uh, prostatitis you talked about Geo, and then and then BPH. Um, is it something that all men are just going to get a big prostate? Or what's the deal with BPH? Let me let me let me uh, uh, let me help. Let me help ask even a better question. When does it matter? And when doesn't doesn't it matter? Yeah. Why is that? Because you can have you can get older and have a big prostate and not have urinary problems. Yeah. You could be younger or older and and have a small prostate and have a lot of urinary problems. It doesn't matter if your prostate is enlarged. And, and I think that, and this is why I think that a lot of uh, people are overly prescribed. Um, uh, some of the medications that I think are not great um, for overall health, um, one of the ones that I think that are maybe a problem are uh, five uh, alpha reductase inhibitors. So these are your dutasterides and finasterides because it, um, it inhibits the, from, you know, the production of from testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. And I don't think dihydrotestosterone is much of a problem. It does, it can stimulate the, uh, the growth of the prostate, but so what? Mm-hmm. Um, and then some studies have indicated that um, it can increase the risk of more aggressive prostate cancer. And these are very large studies. So it's not one of my favorites. And a lot of times people are just trying to reduce the size of their prostate. I think they're missing the whole boat overall. If there's okay. symptoms and if the urethra is being blocked, that's when you would potentially so, go with a 5AR or? N- 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 well, maybe not. 
Maybe not. Okay. Okay. So actually you're raising a good question, right? Because the bottom line, well, first of all, <laughs> you can have all kinds of urinary problems that are unrelated to the prostate, just like women have. Yeah. Right. And oftentimes that's induced by uh, a bladder or overactive bladder or a neurogenic bladder or something. Then as it, as it does relate to the prostate, when the stream is just slow or you know, getting close to retention, right. You can have a small prostate and then that prostate is squeezing under urethra. You can have a large prostate and it's not squeezing. All that matters is, is it squeezing or is it not? Period. Yeah. With one little exception, and there's not too many people that have this, when you have a humongous prostate, now it starts pushing against nerves uh, and some of which actually innervates the penis. And some people can have some erectile dysfunction from a humongous, but this is like, you know, for every 50 patients I see, I may see one that has like, you know, like a small orange. Okay. So it's pretty, uncom uh, pretty uncommon. It's pretty uncommon. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you said that a BPH, benign prostatic hypertrophy, is not a associated with an increased risk of prostate cancer. I think that's really good for all the listeners out there to know. To that's know. correct. That's correct. That's correct. Um, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole of if they do have a high PSA, and then their prostate is so big, then then the you know, they get a needle biopsy, but they keep keeps missing it because it's such a big prostate. That's an issue. So you get to find cancers and. Uh, more effectively and efficiently in smaller prostates and bigger prostates, right? Just because yeah. there's less volume to target. And now the technology is getting better too. But as it relates to inducing or being a precursor or co even correlated to prostate cancer, that's not the case. Well, let's go back to the finger question for a second. So at yep. what age do you recommend? You said there's more prostate cancer. Now, I think there was actually a study recently that showed that... Um, an analysis, I believe, that showed that that people in general are getting cancers across, you know, different types of cancers younger and younger. Right. Um, what age do you feel that is good for men to go to their doctor and and get a prostate exam? You know, I, I'm 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 very um, I don't know if conservative is the word or aggressive. I just think there's nothing to lose with getting it uh, younger, and I think I am even speaking you know, not so aligned to some of the guidelines by some of the institutions, honestly. It's just that I see what I see clinically and I cannot ignore it. Yeah. So I think that, for example, oh man, I'm just thinking all the patients I see, right? So um, I had a guy come in who's 44 years old, whose father died from prostate cancer. Uh, and that's a big deal. Whose yeah. uncles died from, paternal uncles died from prostate cancer. And I'm like, yeah, we're not only are we ready to get you to look at this now, but we're ready to look at you like years ago, like five, six years ago. So I think if there's if there's a strong family history, starting your, you know, at least to get a baseline, 37 years old, baseline PSA. Now there's even other uh, tests that one can use because we know the PSA controversy, right? Yeah. So. I could give you a 30 second spiel on PSA yeah. because I think it's important. Yeah, it's important. The issue is not the PSA biomarker. The issue is the misuse and abuse of the PSA that you know takes people right to the biopsy room and then it just makes things, you know, you, you get to diagnose uh, on uh, low risk prostate cancer and all these things and just too much. Yeah. So it's the use and misuse of PSA. 
That's the issue. And PSA is a very good uh, biomarker for, for the prostate. Certainly not great for prostate cancer. Okay. Because then people get over-treated for mm -hmm. the disease. Mm -hmm. However, before we had the PSA test in the 80s and before that, those that came in with prostate cancer, 40% of them already had aggressive metastatic prostate cancer, hmm. as opposed to 4% when, you know, 10, 12 years after the PSA came about in the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. There is some benefit from it, but yeah. uh, from, from, from the utilization of PSA, but you don't want to, oh, PSA 3, oh, you need a biopsy. No, velocity, how it changes within time, things like that. All right. That's the... 60 second spiel on PSA. Um, but there's other tests now, Andrew, that I think that people need to know about. Um, there's a few, but I want to summarize. Um, there's something called a 4K score, which is a blood test, which is very good and is more sensitive and specific to prostate cancer. Okay. okay. So the higher that number, the uh, more likelihood of, of there being prostate cancer there. Would you recommend screening initially with the 4K or only if the PSA was, was I high? recommend screening. You don't want to uh, overuse a 4K. And actually, I have a couple of more things to say about the 4K because it's not perfect. But you don't want to, um, you know, a regular person comes in, start with a PSA. A regular person comes in, very high risk uh, uh, of uh, a family history of prostate cancer. And high risk means the following. If the father died from it, so if he was diagnosed in his 70s and he's still alive and no problem, that's not really familial high risk. Okay. If he was diagnosed in his 60s with more or less aggressive disease, that's high risk. Mm -hmm. If he died from it, it's high risk, et cetera. Okay. Okay. So that's that. Then I would do a PSA and something like a 4K, um, which leads me to my next point. The 4K is better and more sensitive. However, within its algorithm, it's still using PSA. Okay. Okay. So what I see is some false positives and even false negatives, actually more false positives, because if you have a high PSA from benign tissue, then it's going to be part of the algorithm. So that's going to be, you know, a high 4K score. Mm. which may lead to an unnecessary biopsy. Mm. Okay. So is it better than just PSA? Yes, it is. But it's not perfect because of that, you know, what I just said. Yeah. And it sounds like the family history can help in terms of whether or not someone may want to get a biopsy with that score. Correct. Correct. You definitely want to do uh, more screening in someone with a, with a strong family history at least again, to have a baseline. There's another urine test that I like, um, probably at this point, even more than the 4K, it's called an ExoDX prostate score. Okay. It does not use um, PSA at all. Okay, okay. In its score. So lately, I've used this test more than 4K because again, it's not using uh, PSA in its algorithm. And it's a simple urine test, cup, send it in. They give you a number and that number, the cutoff is 15.6. And one last thing I'll say is that um, with regards to this is that I am not interested in figuring out who has prostate cancer necessarily. I'm interested in figuring out who potentially has a 
aggressive type of prostate cancer that something where something can be done uh, to save their life from dying for it. So 80% of prostate cancer that's diagnosed is not aggressive and oftentimes do not need to be treated. I'm looking for that 20%. So these tests actually helps with sort of ignoring the lower Gleason scores and really focusing on the sevenths and Gleason sevenths and, and higher. That, that's so helpful. That's one helpful, of the yeah. benefits of a Gleason six is motivation. So I mean, you know, I, I think it's a great diagnosis, but at the same time, you don't want to put the C word into somebody's head and unnecessarily. So these tests help with um, sort of diagnosing Gleason sevens and, and, and higher. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, what what do you feel are the common root causes, since obviously we're always talking about root cause um, of prostate cancer? What are your kind of, is it metabolic syndrome mostly? Is there some some other things going on? Root causes of prostate cancer, you know. Um, so at this point, and, and I do spend almost uh, every day on something related to prostate cancer these days, I think that um, um, the root cause, um, the, there's two, there's two um, types of people with prostate cancer. One that has a very strong uh, family history where they're at higher risk, not only, not only paternal, but if the mom had breast cancer, and died from it, that's a higher risk for the offspring to get prostate cancer that might be aggressive. So that matters. Yeah. Um, there are genetic mutations that we know. So BRCA2 mutation for prostate cancer, okay. as opposed to BRCA1, which is more associated with breast cancer, these kinds of things. Um, there's other mutations that you, that you can test for clinically. Right. So but you and I, I think, would say we're not enslaved to our genes. Right. We can sort of slow that pr process down by lifestyle. Lifestyle, so yes, epigenetics, yeah. All these things. Right. So, yes. What's the root cause? There is a genetic component. But there's the, those people that do not have a genetic component and still get it. And, and I think everyone needs to know that lifestyle matters a lot. What does that really mean? That means that um, less exposure to environmental carcinogens as much as one can um, and all the things that helps you reduce the risk of prostate cancer or eliminate the risk, um, which is lifestyle. It comes down to the, my four pillars are diet, um, exercise, sleep, and proper and targeted nutraceuticals. Oh, Gio, you didn't mention stress. Stress is not Stress is not associated. You know, when I went through that divorce, that's when I think I have my prostate. I think, yeah, sure. But when you do these four things and you're pretty consistent, you just stress a whole lot less. That stress right? load goes down. Yeah. Goes can, down you, by yeah. exercise, eating well, yeah. sleeping and so forth. Right. Yeah. It goes down. So that's sort of to make it easy. Yeah. Meditation. Sure. All the uh, no, no question. But man, you know, I live in the real world. I am here in New York City high pace, stress. So I'm not going to tell, yeah, you know, that mountain update, go up to that mountain, be there for three hours, do transcendental meditation every day. And when you come back, you're going to, you know, I have to be practical uh, uh, with men that I see that who live in the real world. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. And, and, I love I love New York City. Uh, although TM is not going to stop the subway noise, right? <laughs> that unless you're really good in TM. That's you true. Could be, you if could. You're really good. You could block it out. You could. You block may it out. miss your stop. However. <laughs> yes, you could miss your stop. <laughs> then then you got to have the cup of coffee as well. That that, that, that might work. That might work. Maybe the TM plus coffee. Um, and a lot a lot of men too use exercise as a way to mitigate the stress. I mean, that's actually the solution for a lot of men. It's active meditation. And actually, that's what I do. I, look, yeah, I think yeah. sitting down for 15 minutes and um, do deep diaphragmatic breathing, I think is very helpful. Yeah. Um, but I can't do everything. So if I have to choose one, what how I respond really well and in, in the form of uh, meditation is active meditation, whether running or lifting or something. And now I get a lot of bang for my buck, right? Because I get the physical benefits, the mental, the psychological, the spiritual, yeah. even hopefully, and uh, things like that. If you're mindful when you move, you can really, like you said, kind of hit different birds there with one stone. And that's a good point. Actually, if you're mindful, I find that um, I, I get frustrated with running because it's just me, no AirPods, and I'm just going and if a thought comes in, I have to do something with that thought because I'll slow down or start walking or start to figure yeah. out problems. So with running, it could be meditative and I've been in that zone, but I find it to be sometimes difficult because, you know, to get the thoughts out. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, uh, it is. but, but, it, but certainly po possible. And if you're doing mindfully, I think it really helps. So we talked about men today, you know, men, men are really, um, you know, an important part of, of the world, obviously. And, uh, but, but we know that, you know, men don't always care about their health. This is what we started with. They care and they're motivated by performance. Um, but what is one thing you wish everyone knew about, about men's health, whether that's a man listening to this, whether that's a, a woman or yeah. someone that, that knows a man, you know, um, I think that um, if if one wants to, if any man is really truly interested in playing this game of life and aging really well, then you need to train for that, like as if you are an athlete, because you know aging is a sport, and you want to train for it. Like Tom Brady's training at forty five to be this quarterback, right? Things that you never seen. You yeah. have to train for that, and. There is no other way. Now, one can say, right? So I know the male mentality, that's numerous, but one of them is, one male mentality is, well, you know, I'm going to die anyway or, or something like that, right? So I want to live my life. I'm going to die anyway. The problem is that you won't die because... Yeah, I agree. I'm all about living your life your way. No question. You want to smoke, drink. I'm all about you living your life your way. And if it's true, then then you just die. And when you die, no problem. That's a great way to live. The problem is you don't die. The problem is that you stay alive. But you hate your life. You're in excruciating pain. You have half of your body is paralyzed from a stroke. Um, you have you're on chemo, and now your quality of life is no good. And not only that, you become a burden to those around you. There is no other way, right? There's a consequence. There's a consequence. There, of, there's a of consequence. Not participating in that, yeah. Sport. There's a consequence yeah. to yourself, and there's a consequence to those around you. Yeah. Right. They pay the price too. Great point. 
Great point. And you don't die. Alzheimer's. When was the last time you seen an Alzheimer patient who you know dies? They don't. 10 years, 12 years, and then they, they live die. a long time. They, they live, live a, long time. a long time. Yeah. And or you know, they, they live a long time, but that the quality is not there. They're, they're not really fully living the way that they're not. They're not. My know. football coach from high school, you know, had it, died from it. And, you know, his wife, who's a lovely lady, really struggled quite a bit because he was more belligerent and so forth. So um, so the 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 takeaway, I think, is you will not just die. And if you're serious about being 75, 80, 85 years old and playing with your grandchildren and, you know, you may have a new grandchild and you want to actually imagine sitting down on the floor and playing with your grandchild in your 80s, which is yeah. certainly possible, then you need to train for that. And the training for that is work like a sport. You train. Oh, notice I'm not saying exercise. I think train. Right. Improve your strength, improve your balance, do the work yeah. there, you know, eat well, eat clean, take the right supplements and make sure you pay some attention to sleep, which I know gets worse with age. But I think some of that, not all of it is related to just poor sleep habits that mm -hmm. you can improve on. Yeah. Yeah. Lo I love that message. I mean, it's really a, a call to all of us men or anyone listening out there who is a man or knows men that it's a daily practice, a daily, a daily yeah. training, like you say, um, well, I like running, but I love, um, I love, uh, I'm trying to do more body weights and more, more head and things. And I think, I think the strength is, is really important, like you said, but, but overall, thank you so much for, uh, coming on today. Uh, we do have some fun questions for you though. If ah. you don't mind a little bit of, uh, these are all fun, but we have a, a morning routine question, which is sort of like, what's Dr. Geo's morning routine? Since ah. we know that morning routines are really associated with health and kind of, am I, am I on the Tim Ferriss podcast or am I on the <laughs> Andrew, whose podcast am I on? I thought it was Andrew. Wong's this is podcast. a, maybe it is, maybe it is Tim's in a disguise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Tim, you look different. You look different. <laughs> Um, so morning routines, um, is five, five, five thirty to five to six, wake up depending on what's going on. Um, and it is some movement, whether it's 10 minutes or 60 minutes. Um, so it's either some movement, the 10 minutes is just to get things going. I do some, um, what do you call that? So it's like Cobra position into a push up, and you oh, just yeah. back and forth. I do those several times. It gets, it moves. I want to move several joints and I want to get the circulation in my brain going. Mm -hmm. So I try not to get on the phone, uh, which is yeah. not a good idea. So my first thing is kind of a move or I do my uh, my training that morning, whether and oftentimes it is strength training. I have a garage gym and anybody who follows Dr. Gio Espinosa on Instagram knows what that gym looks I, I, like. I heard it. I heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I do uh, strength training um, um, with coffee. Uh, so I drink coffee during my training. There seems to be some benefits there. I, I don't feel like I'm getting an ergogenic benefit or more energy from coffee necessarily. I just like black coffee, my workouts, but some, some um, studies um, suggests that there are so those benefits when you drink coffee, just black coffee. I just drink it because I like it. And if those yeah, benefits yeah. exist, then great. Um, but that's pretty much my morning routine. I wish I did more journaling and things like that. Like everyone says, I don't. But I do start thinking of my day and how I want to live. And I think about my kids as I'm training. So it's not I wouldn't oh, say it's nice. meditation, but I think about how can I how can I how can how can I be a better father today? 
Well, it's mindful. It's you're you're actually focusing on on the you know service and, and family and all that. Yeah. Um, getting your day off to a great start. And uh, uh, Dr. Gio, I know you have a lot of fun websites out there. Uh, how can listeners work with you? Definitely yeah. mention the Mister Happy one too. I think that yeah, would be nice. I love it. Um, for everything, everything uh, comes from drgeo.com. So anyone who's really interested, drgeo.com. Um, there you have the podcast and other things. Uh, the podcast is um, uh, it's uh, I'm I'm a little bit young. I'm about six months in, um, and it's um, all I talk about is urological problems and men's health. Yeah, but if you go to drgeo.com, my information is there and. Um, Thank you so much. This, this, is, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yes, same. Thank you so much, Dr. Chia. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.